Hi, Whiskey Ringers. Welcome to another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today, we're talking all things Wheel Horse Whiskey. There's Wheel Horse Bourbon and Wheel Horse Rye for the time being, and a couple other brands to talk about down the line. So I've got with me from the brand, Terry Lozoff and Randall Bird, the barrel master for Wheel Horse. Welcome to you both. Hey, Hello. David. How are you? Good. Nice to be Glad here to talking about Wheel Horse. Yeah. Absolutely. So... Uh, let's, you know, I would like to start off as most people do with figuring out just how people got to where they are now. So, um, Terry, if you want to kick us off on that, uh, how'd sure, you get I'll into give, whiskey? I'll give my background and then, uh, well, I'll let Randall give his, his, his is more interesting than mine, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, at least when it comes to whiskey. Um, but, uh, so I, uh, we work for a company called Latitude Beverage, which is, um, you know, in the context of wheel horse, essentially an independent bottler, but, um, you know, we, we build, uh, brands and, and, uh, work with great partners. We'll talk about today, like Green River Distillery, uh, on our, our wheel horse partnership. But, um, uh, I've been working in and around beer, wine and spirits for about 20 years, started in the, uh, marketing and advertising side of that, um, and worked uh, in and around the beer industry for a good 15 years, Miller Brewing Company and a number of others, and uh, got very involved in the early craft beer movement. And uh, as that kind of started to take off, got really excited about beer and 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 wine and and spirits. And um, I started a, a blog in uh, 2010 called Drink Insider, the early days of the, the the whiskey and wine blogosphere before there was Instagram and and all the good stuff like podcasts that we have now. Um, and just had an opportunity over the course of, uh, you know, um, eight, 10 years to just, uh, get really, uh, involved in tasting, uh, with a ton of, you know, um, uh, producers sending me products. And I just got really into whiskey and tasted a ton of whiskey, uh, over the years and then had an opportunity to leave the, the marketing and advertising world and get involved with Latitude Beverage. Um, and, um, about uh, Latitude started as a wine company. Um, but in 2019, I was able to launch our, um, our spirits division. And so in the past uh, four years, three years, we've launched uh, about seven, eight brands, but wheel horses to me, my, uh, my baby and the, and the crown jewel of, of what we're, what we're doing here um, just in regards to, you know, quality and authenticity and, and just a really great product. So uh, wheel horses, uh, wheel horses and really exciting um, brand for us. And, and uh, Randall and I spend a lot of, a lot of time thinking about, uh, wheel horse and and uh, tasting batches and working with the Green River team, so that's that's my uh, that's my quick uh, high level. <laughs> Randall, up to you. Yeah, so my name is Randall Bird. I've been in the industry almost exclusively whiskey for just about thirty years now, and if things go well, I'll get time off for good behavior soon. I hope. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I've worked in all aspects from production to education to brand ambassadors for virtually most companies that you could probably name in uh, across about three different continents. And um, just really excited to land with Latitude, I think, because we're able to kind of pivot and really get to the heart of making a brand or making a difference much quicker than I was able to when I was getting frustrated with a lot of the second tier distributor level issues that I ran into. So I kind of semi-retired and then kind of came back out of that, but uh, always, uh, always drinking, always tasting, always trying to learn more about the product. So 
Awesome. Awesome. Are you uh, allowed to tell a couple of places you were at? Or would you rather? Uh, sure. I kind of came up through a system with uh, now competitor Diageo, um, but I worked in Scotland at a bunch of distilleries that most people would know, quite famous. Um, but also in uh, Ireland, um, Kentucky, did some work with Taiwan and obviously Catalan over there. And um, a lot of uh, Canadian whiskeys, which are my new passion right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that kind of fills in some gaps, but. Sure, yeah. sure. So, so world traveler, clearly. One of the interesting sure. things I found about Randall is that, um, you know, we've seen kind of this uh, recent boom in single barrel selections uh, and, and, and interest in single barrel selections. And Randall has been involved in uh, single barrel selections i think since kind of the very origin of this starting to penetrate our society for like you know 15 years right randall yeah it's probably over 20 but um yeah back when you couldn't give bourbon away um and the single barrel programs were launched to try and create an interest and really get people excited about it but it's definitely changed it's come full circle so yeah yeah now almost had to I don't think it was ever really endangering Kentucky, but uh, had a near miss with legislation earlier this year where we could have seen the private barrels go away, but it seems yeah. to have made it through. And uh, now, however many years later, clearly private barrels are still quite the rage in yeah, definitely the whiskey industry. Well, I think it diverts. One of the things I saw when I worked um, with a lot of the Scottish industry was they began to siphon off interest for single malts away from blends, which was originally employed to kind of, you know, work on the blends, kind of cracking the code for bringing that to the attention of of folks. And now um, I think that we're seeing a similar kind of trend in bourbon and the fact that people are getting distracted by a lot of single barrel stuff. But at the same time, there's just so many great brands that are doing nice batches, nice blending, just a, a quality product overall. And then all this like kind of hype and attention for a very small part that's like probably at, at a very kind of exclusive level. And so um, Wheel Horse, fortunately, is kind of taking, I think, a little bit of both sensibilities with our batching, but also uh, trying to, to say this is a brand. I mean, this is, it will change. It'll be a little bit dynamic, but it's going to be something that we're proud of as instead of a single barrel instance, for example. So, Sure. And even if down the road you wanted to introduce a single barrel program, it's always better to start off with, with a batch product, mm-hmm. Uh, in whatever other euphemism you want to call it, uh, but a product that sets the standard for what the brand is going to be, what it's going to taste like. And then down the road, if you want to deviate a little bit, you have that freedom. But uh, I mean, I think in, in tasting both the bourbon and the rye, you set a very clear profile. Um, and I'm assuming the one you wanted to achieve, otherwise you wouldn't have released it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, yeah. but you set a very clear profile for what you is, you want Wheeled Horse um, to be. So, um, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to, I mean, I, you know, when we set out to create Wheel Horse, um, the idea was about creating a, a great everyday go-to whiskey 
Um, the trend over the last few years has really been ultra premium and luxury. That's where a lot of the new brands are, are getting launched, not only in whiskey, but in tequila and other categories. You're seeing like this $40, $50 plus price range go up. And uh, obviously the, the the secondary market is pushing prices up and the supply and demand for, for bourbon and whiskey is price, pushing prices up and up and up. And, you know, for me as a huge whiskey lover who just wants a great go-to everyday whiskey, uh, you know, the idea behind Wheelhorse was not to kind of chase that that path of premiumization, but to create something that was a great everyday sip that you could drink neat, that you could, you know, it's not too expensive, so you can put it in cocktails and feel good about it, you can put it on ice, you know, whatever you want to do. So, you know, the taste profile for, for Wheelhorse was kind of, the foundation of it was creating that go-to everyday whiskey. Um, and, you know, our price point on our kind of standard rye and bourbon releases is 30 bucks, 35 in some markets. So it's hard to beat that. I mean, it's New York for me. So that's probably gonna be 35 by me, but no, it's probably um, 30 in New York actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll take it. New York's usually more expensive. We'll get the, we'll get most releases that aren't single state releases. Um, usually a little bit of a premium though, um, mm-hmm. but it's 30 even better because at that point it's competing against who you guys are assuming they competing against, you know, the, the wild Turkey one-on-one kind of level, uh, Elijah Craig, uh, small batch. So those kinds of very easy sippers, that kind of price. By the way, range. wild Turkey, uh, copied our one-on-one proof thing, which, um, you know, I was a little upset about, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw that, and I was gonna I was gonna ask Jimmy when I was down there a few weeks ago, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it slipped my mind. So, uh, they might have beaten you on the rye, but I can't speak to the bourbon. But uh, I think it's 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 much tougher to do what I think Terry set out to do than it is to do the ultra premium. Um, in addition to trying to work closely with the distillery and make these batches. We've always had a mindset to have a good margin for the retailer, but also a good value for the consumer. And just to be in that sweet spot, I can name a handful of things that I've always looked to over the years, but Wheelhorse definitely, I think, tries to slot into a very difficult place where a lot of people would just kind of jack up the, the price and try, and try and go for a little bit more of a profit margin. But to make it taste as good as it does consistently and showcase a good value, to the consumer and to the retailer, I think has been really impressive for me. So, absolutely, at thirty or even thirty-five, I can't argue against that at all. Uh, this remind me to ask you a question later about uh, about branding and marketing. I mean, this will go to both of you. But before we get to that, um, how did the the name Wheelhorse come about? So. Uh... The name Wheelhorse is uh, refers to. Um, we were kind of thinking of names, and we wanted to come up with something that kind of spoke to this kind of everyday your go-to whiskey, uh, hard work and whiskey. Uh, and we found this name Wheelhorse, which <clears throat> kind of historically uh, is uh, re- refers to the the horse that was closest to the carriage, who does the majority of the work. 
And uh, we really love that. And then if you kind of dig deeper into the, uh, the meaning of wheel horse, uh, it has an application to people as well, which meant uh, an individual who works really hard and doesn't ask for any kind of uh, praise uh, for their hard work. So I don't know, it just connected with us. We liked it. Um, and, um, you know, naming is pretty hard these days, uh, but uh, we, we really like the, the meaning behind it. And it's, it's definitely, you know, sunk in for us and, um, you know, become, become part of uh, this brand for sure. And I mean, using Kentucky distillate, anything with, uh, with horses is on one hand, it makes sense. Yeah. It's always, you know, it's always appreciated. Uh, but on the other hand, as, as you pointed out, it's tough to figure out a good name that is relevant, that makes sense. That isn't kind of a word salad picked out of air. Right. Um, and in, in this particular case, so the, so wheel horse itself is the, you know, it's the brand it's, Wheelhouse, wheel horse bourbon, excuse me, wheel horse rye, latitude beverages behind it, um, and the bourbon and rye itself come from Kentucky. Um, yeah. Just to, as a quick clarification, um, latitude is, where's, where are you usually based? Uh, we're based in the Northeast, um, Boston uh, and Providence area. Um, uh, but you know, we have this partnership with uh, Green River Distillery in Owensboro, Kentucky, um, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously, um, they're uh, we we work with them on this product. Everything is 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 made and um, distilled, uh, uh, aged. Everything is is down there in Owensboro, Kentucky. We work directly with the master distiller um, Jacob Call and his team on our mm-hmm. our batching. Um, but uh, you know, we want it to be very transparent. Uh, very uh, um, uh, authentic with uh, what we're doing here. I think uh, whiskey drinkers now um, who know about the kind of the the background of whiskey and how whiskey is is made and how whiskey brands come about understand that you know today in the whiskey market there are a lot of non distilling producers out there um, or uh, independent bottlers and independent bottling has been going on for hundreds of years. This is not a, a new thing. Um, but we wanted to be very transparent about, um, you know, uh, where our whiskey was made. So, um, the, you know, the back labels, uh, speak to, um, Owensboro distilling company, which is, which is green river. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're very, uh, transparent about that on our website, Jacob calls names on the bottle. And, and like I said, it really is a partnership with them. Um, they do, they just launched their own green river brand recently. Um, but we were really one of the first, um, uh, products to come out of green river. Um, there was one or two maybe before us, but none of them were talking about green river. We were the first ones to come out as uh, a brand coming out of this distillery. Um, and I was, you know, when I found them, I was, I was really excited because we were kind of early on, uh, in, in their, their world and, um, you know, got an opportunity to kind of get access to uh, a lot of their, uh, their barrels that we wanted. Um, and, uh, actually when I first approached them, I was, the original idea was, uh, we wanted to start with wheel horse rye. And that was the first product that we put out, uh, because I felt like there was kind of a, an opportunity for a, a rye in the $30 price range. That was your, you know, a good go-to, uh, higher proof. So 101 proof, non-chill filtered, full flavored, 
Um, and uh, so I, I first approached them about rye and they're like, what are you talking about? We're a, <laughs> we're a bourbon distillery. And um, uh, they, but, but they did have some rye aging. And so we kind of, you know, got into that uh, early on. And I think everybody's pretty excited about the quality of what they were doing uh, and what we were putting out through wheel horse, uh, with the rye on, on batch one. Um, and I'm still very excited about the rye they're making, even though they really are kind of a bourbon distillery. Um, they're making some fantastic rye whiskey. Um, sure. and you guys are very transparent on, uh, on the site, on the labels. I mean, you can go to the site and figure out all the specs that are not even figure out you you can just read the specs of every bottle you want to it's yeah. you know the char level four the recipe the mash bill the sour mash non-chill filtered um the the reason i was uh, i was kind of focused on the brands and its relation to you know where the distillate was from versus where uh the independent bottling might come from is because uh i was thinking about another brand that uh we don't have to name, but they were using um, Kentucky distillate, uh, likely from Barton, but not not one hundred percent sure. Uh, and they were getting the barrels. They were not based in Kentucky; they were based in uh, Texas. And they were doing this weird thing where basically they appropriated a a Texas hero for the name of, of this Kentucky whiskey, but the whiskey bottles themselves were all about Kentucky. So it was just a, this disconnect between, you know, what the whiskey is, what the distillate is, where it's coming from, its heritage and kind of the, the label on the bottle. So um, in that sense, that's where both the openness and also the connection to horses and, and the wheel horse uh, come together for me. I'm sure people who are listening could pick out exactly which brand I'm talking about, but that's, that's fine. That's for a different day. I've already, I've exited their good graces by <laughs> already. So yeah, I mean, transparency all. is, is key. I mean, as a, um, a whiskey lover and a whiskey geek, first and foremost, like I want to know about the products I'm drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the, the bourbon industry and the whiskey world, American whiskey, especially kind of went through this kind of weird phase, you know, several years back when everybody started realizing that MGP was in um, a lot of rye out there and, and MGP. And then there was like this big backlash uh, and it was like, I can't believe, you know, you know, bullet comes from MGP and, uh, you know, all these others are, are using MGP and so on and so forth. And then like now, obviously MGP is all the rage. People love MGP, but it, it there was like this kind of like phase, this period where, um, you know, this kind of conversation about transparency really came about. And uh, at the time, I, I feel like I was a, a lover of whiskey, not in the business of whiskey yet. Uh, I was still mostly in the business of wine. And, um, and so to me, it was, there, you know, we are an independent bottler. So there's already kind of like a layer there but I want to make sure that, that everything we do is completely transparent. So, yeah, like you said, um, not only are we talking about, you know, uh, the fact that, that green river is, is behind, uh, the, you know, they're distilling this, they're aging it, 
uh, I mean, Randall and I are, are selecting the batches and we're kind of creating the profile, but <clears throat> it's their product um, first and foremost. Uh, um, but everything from the mash bills to, uh, like you said, even the chart level on the barrels. And, you know, we just want to be completely transparent about what this product is. And maybe people wouldn't expect that for, again, a $30 whiskey. But to me, it's like kind of a no brainer. Just here, here's what you're drinking. Do you like it? Um, why hide anything? And, and I would take it from a slightly different point of view. I think that a lot of people are interested in, they use that catchphrase transparency, but from the nineties, most of my information, most of the way I was learning was getting it off the bottle and trying to piece together information. So it's a priority or very important to me that it's not so much transparent about where it's coming from, but that I'm learning as much information as I can from the actual packaging or the bottle. And so we have mash bills, we have, uh, the proof level, unchill filtered, batch numbers, all these things are not really, in, from my point of view, a marketing uh, kind of drive, but they're more for the consumer so that they can connect with the product and get their questions answered so that there isn't this veil of mystery and they can get right into associating the flavor, the aroma with what they're reading so that they can get to a better understanding of whiskey. Once you've made that connection, that's where we found uh, some of our biggest fans and consumers are. They like to see it, read it, and not really have us tell them about it. And then once they make the connection, then then they're kind of excited about Wheel Horse. So. Absolutely, I, I felt that uh, picking the bottles out of uh, out of their the, you know the shipping container, it was very clear. As you said, everything is right on the bottle. You don't have to ask any questions about it uh, if you're. Even a basic whiskey nerd, you don't have to ask any questions. They're right there. And uh, for any deeper questions, they're pretty easy to, to find. You know, it's not shrouded in secrecy. Uh, and so uh, before we go into a little more on, uh, you know, how that how the Green River partnership developed, mm -hmm. uh, Randall, I just wanted to go over to you now to say, you know, how did you get uh, involved with with Terry and with Wheelhorse? Like, were you involved from the beginning or did you come on a little bit later? Uh, no, I just kind of came on a little bit, a little bit later, but I was kind of, um, well, I mean, you hear people talk about building brands and making a difference and trying to have a positive effect in the, in the marketplace with a whiskey. And I was quite jaded prior to me working with the company, uh, which has been about two years now. Um, and uh, because I was asking a lot of questions about how, how we would do things, how we would bring stuff to the market. Um, they were able to give Terry in particular, very specific examples. The label itself also sold me more than any kind of like kind of talking points or a kind of a interview situation. I'm like, this is, this is a, a company that puts out exactly what they can talk about. Now there are some brands that we, do have contractual, we can't talk about it, but anything that we are going to, to deal with, um, we deal with it as straightforward as possible and try and put as much information on the label was a core thing that kind of drew me back into the industry. Um, so I was a little bit burned out, like I was saying before, but two years of this, it's been nothing but fun and really making like everything that we've done. I've, I'm really proud of, um, you know, there's, of course, awards and stuff, but what we really find is that people are going back to buy bottles and they are excited about seeing, you know, and talking to people from the company. And that's really been what's sealed the deal. 
um, if that kind of makes sense. Like I, I was skeptical that perhaps this would be another like kind of smoke show. It wasn't. And then um, the consumers and the fans of our products have just really um, cemented the whole the whole positive experience for me. It's been fantastic. So, I mean, that's just from a consumer perspective, let alone an interview perspective. It's both good to hear. And it's also uh, honestly a bit surprising. Uh, in talking to people from the whiskey industry, uh, one of the one of the best things I found is that people are willing to talk and they want to talk and they want to, you know, as much as they're able and uh, they want to, whether it's their product or another product, they're always looking about what's the next big thing to come out or what's this and that. But um, very few of them, if any, I'm, tr- I'm honestly trying to think as I say this, I'm trying to think if there was anyone that I've spoken to over the last, let's say two years since I've been really intently doing this, who has said, you know, I, I've done this for a while and uh, yeah, I'm kind of burnt out or I was burnt out. Uh, And I think that's a new perspective, certainly to add to this podcast of someone who had been in multiple companies, multiple uh, countries, multiple continents, said three continents uh, and was able to kind of have something help him find his way back into, into the industry. So that to me says something kind of intangible about the brand and, and the team that uh, Terry, you seem to have put together with this. So, um, yeah, I have nothing but, but praise for the company. And, you know, you're going to get a certain amount of that where people feel obligated to say that type of thing. But I mean, um, they brought me back from, from a place where I was like kind of done. And I thought, well, maybe I want to see, what they're really talking about, if they really can match what their commitment level is. And uh, it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, If you can't deliver a product that's at a good price point to me, I mean, this is the whole thing. Like it's so easy to go ultra premium. It's so easy to throw a $400 uh, price tag on something and then wait for the the feeding frenzy or the kind of um, secondary markets to try and catch it up. But to create a brand that comes in, and our price point in, in a lot of the markets, markets is just under $30 consistently do. And each batch that we do uh, as our product and our relationship with, with Green River and Owensboro um, develops, becomes older and better and more complex. So it's, it's keeping that price point and also making a product that is still gaining you know, more flavor, more aroma, all these things that a lot of people would kind of like, let's thin it out. Let's spread it out a little bit more. Let's try and get more into the market and the commitment level to just doing it the correct way and the right way each time, even if we have to reinvent the process each time we do it, it's unheard of in the industry. Sure. And it's, it is worth mentioning. I mean, these are whiskeys that at least the two batches uh, that I have are about two years old, maybe a little older. They're older Uh, than they're older than two. Yeah. We, um, we say minimum of two, but actually right now, most of the, the, um, the whiskey that's in both the bourbon and the rye is closer. It's between three and four. Um, but some of it's kind of edging closer to four, uh, in our most recent batches. Um, you know, I don't think to, to Randall's point, like we want to keep price point, like that's really important for us. We don't want to be a, a super luxury whiskey with wheel horse. So, um, you know, there's only so, so much we can age product, but I also sure. say to like, 
uh, Jacob Call and the Green River team, like uh, their whiskey and the whiskey that we're putting in Wheelhorse, like at three to four years is fantastic. I mean, uh, you could you could keep maturing it and we'll we'll certainly mature some of our stocks as much as we can to see if like we can do some single barrels down the year, then down the road that are like five years or six years, you know, hopefully at some point. And I'm sure they'll they'll taste amazing. But um, yeah, I mean, at three to four years, I kind of went on tangent here, but they're, they're doing <laughs> some good stuff. There's nothing right. in here that's two though. Like, you know, at two years, it's just not where it needs to be two and a half. It's not where it needs to be. I think for wheel horse, like our, our flavor profile starts hitting its stride in that three to three and a half year mark. And then I think in order to achieve the, the flavor complexity that we're looking for, uh, it's about kind of a blend of, of different, uh, maturations in that three to four year range to, to provide some complexity and depth of flavor. And we could legitimately claim on the label that they're a minimum of three years, but we are more interested in the flavor and aroma than the number kind of sell on it. And also, um, I, I mean, it's just, it's just because it started to develop from an early point. And as the batches, we get more matured product and we have a better understanding of how the flavors work together. That's evolving to be a little bit more aged product, which typically in most normal companies would be a money play and then a jack up of the price with the award and then a thinning out or proofing down to get more liquid for the volume. None of these things have happened. And that's why it's such a joy to kind of work with this brand, because I know that each time it comes out, it's even better than before. And the price is still holding fairly, fairly consistent. So it's, it's like it kind of is counterintuitive to the industry and what I've seen in my experience, but it really is one of those things that keeps me going, gets me up in the morning and I'm excited about talking about it again. So, yeah. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. Impex imports premium and rare whiskey, gin, rum, mezcals, liqueurs, and cordials from all over the world, from Scotland to Japan to Israel, Belgium, and Wales. Whether it's Kilhoman, Pandaren, Portiskeg, Glenallaki, Ohishi, Fukano, M&H, Ardnamurkin, Black Tot, and more, there's guaranteed to be something in the Impex portfolio you'll love. Impex also oversees some of the most prestigious independent bottlers in the game, including Single Malts of Scotland, Single Cast Nation, Adelphi Selection, and its own Impex collection. Take a look at their site, impexbev.com, or reach out if you're curious about their offerings. I'm proud to have many of their bottles on my shelves and love sharing them with friends whenever I can. Thank you to Sam and to the team for joining the Whiskering Podcast as guest and sponsor. That's good. It, it's, again, it's an intangible, but it's something that comes across in, in talking to you. I can see, you know, just body language wise. Uh, I know that if you're, you know, it's listening only on audio, but um, I can say body language wise that it makes a difference when you're behind something and can and feel like you can fully stand behind a product. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So with so now into the development of of Wheelhorse and um, so now we have the brand name, the choice. So let's go back a little bit further to uh, how you chose uh, Green River and Owensboro to be the partner that would produce that whiskey or from yeah. whom you would get that whiskey. 
Yeah. So I was kind of starting to say before that, you know, I was really excited to come upon Green River when I did, um, or Owensboro Distilling. Um, when I first found them, they were actually called OZ Tyler, uh, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people uh, have heard about this. Um, and they just recently renamed the distillery to Green to Green River, which is the historic name. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, when I was first starting to look around for sourcing partners in like 2018, there was still aged whiskey available. And if you're trying to get into this now, like, forget about it. Don't, don't even try. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, the, there were options in 2018. Um, and I, I kind of tasted uh, uh, whiskey from a number of different kind of potential sourcing partners. And when I tasted uh, what they were doing at then OZ Tyler, I was, it was kind of an immediately, I just kind of fell in love with it and the uniqueness of the, their product, especially their rye again, because I was kind of starting to think about launching with the rye. The rye um, has a, I think a unique bourbon-esque quality to it that a lot of rye drinkers um, or a lot of people who don't like rye like this rye because it has kind of some of the bourbon-esque qualities to it, but it still has that rye spice and that rye kind of flavor profile that rye lovers like. Um, so uh, the other thing that that kind of sold me on them is just the history of, of Green River. Uh, so um, Green River Distillery in one form or another has been around since the late 1800s. Uh, I believe 1885 was when um, the the distillery was first launched. Uh, they're in Western Kentucky in Owensboro, which um, if you're if you're in Bardstown or if you're in Louisville, it's 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 a it's a bit of a trek. Uh, it's at least two hours west. Um, it is on the Bourbon Trail, but it's very far. It's the it's the most westernmost point on the Bourbon Trail. Um, but the distillery. Um, kind of has gone through many ownership changes over the years. Uh, I believe in the late 1930s, it was bought by the Medley family. Uh, and then they, I think, owned it in one way or another for uh, quite a long time. Uh, and, you know, in those years, they were producing old Medley out of this distillery. They were producing uh, Mellow Corn. They were producing Ezra Brooks. So this this distillery is really kind of part of the fabric and the heritage of the bourbon industry in Kentucky, which to me, uh, I love. I love that there's that kind of history and story there that Wheel Horse is, is born out of this history. Um but then, you know, come the 80s, 90s, the distillery shut down uh, when the, you know, the bourbon industry um, was in the tank. And um, in 2014, a new ownership group came in and purchased the distillery. And um, they brought in Ron Call and Jacob Call. Uh, Ron uh, is Jacob's dad, uh, who's the, the now master distiller. But Ron was with uh, Jim Beam uh, as a head distiller for, I think he spent about 40 years with Jim Beam. Um, and um, Jacob, his son, kind of the two of them kind of came together to rebuild this distillery and to rebuild the whiskey program. As Jacob says, they, they built it back brick by brick and they did salvage the, the, uh, as much history as possible. Like there, the, the rick houses that are still on the property have been there for 50, 70 years that our, our whiskey, um, is, is a lot of our whiskey is being matured in. Um, uh, and so they launched as OZ Tyler, um, uh, and they kind of got like, some people had heard about this, you know, fast aging technology that was being utilized there. But the reality is Jacob was always focused on traditional aging and laying down barrels, 53 gallon, traditional Kentucky aged 
uh, whiskey and bourbon and, and a little bit of rye. And this kind of Terra Pure uh, fast aging tech was kind of a separate part of the business. Uh, and, and eventually they completely split that off. And now I believe that whole part of their business is, is totally separate being done down in South Carolina. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there was, there was two reasons they, they moved on from the OZ Tyler name. One was um, to kind of get rid of that initial uh, understanding that some of the market had about them and the fast aging stuff. And then uh, the other reason was because they wanted to bring back the heritage of Green River. And I think it took them some time and probably a lot of money to get that name back, but they did. Um, I think it was owned, the, the trademark was owned by a uh, descendant of the original uh, owner who who launched in, in, in 1885. Um, and so uh, they they also have the um, the the Kentucky Distilling Permit ten, uh, which makes them uh, obviously within the first ten distilleries uh, permitted distilleries in the state of Kentucky that still have that that distilling permit. So there's just so much history and heritage there. So you know, just bring it back to why I wanted this partnership with them was the liquid is awesome. Jacob is really doing some fantastic work down there. Uh, and also there's this unbelievable history and heritage that Wheelhorse is now a part of um, that um, I think is just a fantastic part of the story. And, and when we launched Wheelhorse Rye, the first batch in 2019, uh, late 2019, um, from my understanding, it was the first, I, I believe it was the first rye whiskey that had come out of this distillery in its hundred something years. Uh, that's my understanding of it. So, so I felt like Wheelhorse was really carrying on the tradition of and the history of this, this, this distillery. Um, and so there's, I think they're starting to get, you know, a, a little bit of a name for themselves now. Um, uh, obviously with the launch of the green river, uh, bourbon that they launched last or last year, or earlier this year, they, you know, got a little bit of a, an awareness, but, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that, that we have this partnership with them and, and, uh, got in when we did and, and, um, you know, that's the plan for the foreseeable future. Uh, this is a, uh, this product will always be a partnership with green river. I mean, this, you kind of preempted one of a couple of questions that I was going to ask Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and thank, no, 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 it's good because you, you broached, uh, what, what could have been a very sensitive topic and, and did it quite well, uh, in a way that it's not sensitive anymore, which is, uh, one of the things I, I had to ask about was that at, as you pointed out at the time when it was OZ Tyler, after the, after the ownership change in 2014, but before the renaming, you had these two processes going on in parallel, the, the Terra Pure system, and then the, uh, traditional distilling and, and maturation that the calls were leading. Um, and I, the sensitive part was going to be that the, the rapid aging technique did not have a great reputation, uh, or at least not a reputation for great product. It, and um, I don't necessarily think that that has changed, but the, but the stuff that you guys are getting, the stuff that the calls are distilling, and I would have started distilling in, uh, I think, 2016 or so, 2015, 2016, clearly shows a much closer heritage to Kentucky and to American distilling than um, people kind of realize that, you know, Owensboro, 
Ozzy Tyler, now Green River, could yeah. do. Um, so when you say you put out the first products in 2019, first rye, I think you're right. I think it was the first rye out of Green River ever. Um, and uh, even the even with the bourbon not being the first bourbon out of there, but having this rich heritage, by doing so with distillate that the calls had put down for a couple of years that had never touched the terrapure system or anything rapid aging related, um, that also gave you more uh, legitimacy in many ways, just because you could say, look, forget the name, forget the name, forget, in a way, forget that it's in the same facility at that time as this other thing is. This is Kentucky whiskey, bourbon, rye, done the way that for lack of a better phrase, people expect it to be made in. Um, and I was thinking about that as I was uh, doing a little research for for this interview that, you know, did you, as the Wheelhorse brand, did you face any headwinds in getting people to try and, and buy the product simply because of any association with what they thought would not be good whiskey? I would say very little. And I think the reason for that is because we, as a Northeast based company, we launched in the Northeast. And I think there was very little knowledge about OZ Tyler. I think down in Kentucky, people knew OZ Tyler, knew the story. And like the, obviously there's some, some people who are really into whiskey and some, some, some retailers who are really into whiskey, who, who knew about OZ Tyler and knew about that. But I would say for the most part, Nobody had any idea who Ozzy Tyler was. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so they're really, we didn't face that headwinds. Um, uh, I think it started the more that we started getting out, we, you know, I, I did like a number of podcasts when we first launched Will Horse and that was always a question. Um, they were still Ozzy Tyler at the time and I had to set the record straight. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that at this point, like that conversation is done. Um, I think the, the, the awareness has got out there that like, this is not what Green River is doing. Um, I think the, you know, my, I've had a number of call, uh, of conversations with Jacob over the past few years. And like, he is a hundred percent focused on uh, traditional Kentucky whiskey. He is not interested in what they're doing on that side of it, which again, I think they've, it's now not even in the same state. It's, I think it's down in South Carolina that they're focused on this, you know, um, this rapid aging tech. Uh, so you know, he, he is focused on that. And, and when I first, uh, you know, tasted products from them, like they sent me some of the, the Terrapure whiskey and I, I told them I didn't want to try any of it, but they sent me some anyway. <laughs> uh, and, um, I immediately, you know, it, it's not for me, let's just put it that way. And it's not what I wanted to do with this brand. Um, so yeah, but you know, so I don't think that it, it hasn't really caused too much problems for us. And, and honestly, we put OZ Tyler on the back label of batch one of bourbon and rye. And I did so proudly because it was still part of this, you know, historic distillery uh, in their story. So, yeah, there might have been like a little blip in there <laughs> where this like whole story about rapid aging came about. But if you look at the entirety of this property, on the banks of the green river, uh, in Kentucky, like that to me, 120 something years 
overshadows any kind of like blip of kind of negativity that that came about. And I wanted to kind of like jump in here and say that that what's kind of interesting that I don't think a lot of people think about is that when there was that particular backlash or the, those headwinds or or the kind of the it actually Terry had the foresight to realize that there was a separate process that was creating great liquid. And while other people may have been distracted by some of the hype and negativity, he saw the opportunity that allowed us to kind of partner with this distillery. And we've had an unwavered commitment to support both the distillery. So when the first label came out, the, the name of the distillery was OZ Tyler. It wasn't changed. They didn't change it on our behest or request. Um, and then what we found is that people have come to the brand and to the flavor and the taste and kind of that has really propelled the brand forward instead of what I think you would find is a, a lot of negativity on the interwebs or people trying to kind of like come up with ways to discredit things. And they haven't been able to based on, on how we've done that business as well. So we have answered questions about it and we've seen some people concerned about it, but once, as, as soon as we clear up the fact that it's from a separate kind of a division and that the everything that we're getting is a very traditional product um then their focus is then on the taste and the aroma and less about that kind of crazy side story that kind of happened in the about seven eight years ago and then very quickly dissipated but i don't think we would have had the opportunity um if we weren't paying attention to how good the actual product was at the time and we got caught up or wrapped up in the hype around the, uh, the negative stuff I don't think we would have had the brand, um, to be honest. I think uh, it was really a testament to Terry looking at the opportunity, finding really great tasting stuff, and then starting to make those connections and and develop our relationship with the distillery. Sure. And, and like I said, you uh, you broached it much smoother than uh, than I had anticipated. So, you know, I'm glad we could go through it. But I, I thought there was a necessary topic to bring up because yeah. I, I had had my own reservations about, not about um, Wheel Horse actually, but more just about Ozzy Tyler and Green now Green River. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, for me personally, as a, as a taster and uh, just consumer in general, if there were any questions, putting aside Wheel Horse even, if there were any questions about Green River's quality and what they're doing and kind of their trajectory, uh, Terry, you mentioned this earlier, but the release of the Green River product, whether it was late last year or early this year, I think put that to rest. Yeah. You know, it it was again an easy sipping whiskey, easy sipping bourbon in a good price point. Wasn't trying to be premium right off the bat. Uh, if I remember correctly, I don't have my bottle in front of me, but I think uh, about five years or so. Uh, and it was met with pretty universal, like, you know, this is some good stuff. And it's a culmination of what the what the calls have been doing as, as distillers and uh, as whiskey makers. And in that way, Wheelhorse complements it quite well because now you can go back and say, you know, we we knew this brand was good before you guys did, and um, yeah, you know, we were we were picking out the good stuff, and it's it's re in some ways it seems to be rewriting the history, recent history of. Ozzy Tyler and Green River for in a very positive way. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Um, 
I'm I, I, I'm excited for you know what they're doing right now and you know what we're doing with Wheelhorse. Uh, you know, I think the quality of the liquid is is fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're doing things the right way. Absolutely. And uh, you know, Randall, I wanted to go over to you to ask about you're coming into a company that uh, has has started finding barrels and finding good products. Um, so when you come on, what kind of led to, if you will, the, uh, the title of barrel master, uh, and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you interpret that and, uh, implement that on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't come up with that name. Um, and, but, uh, I think we had to have something that was going to put me at the forefront of like tasting and batching and putting out good product and also talking to people about it. And there's a, you know, I'm not distilling currently. And so there's a lot of titles that are thrown around the actual production side of things. But when you're, um, the title I prefer, but it's not, we, we can't get the business cards printed on it is, um, like the liquid archivist, right? Because, to me, there is a history in whiskey that's like a book. It's just each individual barrel, each batch, each process that you're doing is like a snapshot of a moment in time based on what the ingredients that you have are and where the industry is at that point. And so I like to um, kind of manage in my head a little bit more like a library. So they're, they came up with the term barrel master, but really I think, um, you know, I. I don't put a lot of stock in titles to begin with. So you kind of see me hedging around like some of my experiences and some of the titles I do have, which are pretty, I guess a lot of people are impressed by them. But I think if you can't taste my work and taste what Terry and the company is trying to do in the glass, all the fancy titles, all the, the crazy, uh, you know, names that you can come up with stuff, it, it really doesn't matter. So to me, I, 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 they gave me the, the barrel master because I think we're in a difficult thing where we have a license to rectify, which allows us to bottle, but also, um, you know, do finishing and do all sorts of different flavor components of it. But how do you really put that into a, into like kind of a framework of words that makes sense, especially when so many things are, are charged or laden in the industry with the titles and the, and the, kind of, you know, there's, a, there's, like I said, there's a lot of smoke and, and mirrors and, and a lot of stuff and people trying to build their own brands. And I was really interested in not having my name or title out there, but really having the, the liquid out there. And I think that that's, that's where I would say the resume resides. And by the way, the stuff that you're tasting and things, you know, I kind of came in a little bit late to the, to the party, but Terry has done a fantastic job of batching together some stuff. And as we've gotten older and older components, because our relationship with uh, Green River has also matured, just like the whiskey, um, we've been able to put together some some fantastic new innovative kind of flavors, even within the wheel horse label. So I I don't know, I, I guess everyone asked me about the barrel master, but I really don't have a good answer for you. Um, I, I guess, uh, I'm down I could, I could add a little context to that for you, Randall. Yeah. If you want. Okay. Uh, 
David, just just uh, I wasn't planning on kind of talking about this much, and I don't want to, but we do have a, another brand um, that we launched called Copper and Cask, uh, and Copper and Cask is a single barrel uh, focused brand, uh, and we do uh, you know have a, a barrel inventory uh, in in our our uh, facility that uh, you know Randall also you know takes care of. Uh, we do finishings and and uh, all kinds of stuff with that that brand as well so uh, there is uh he doesn't give himself credit but uh he he you know in addition to what we're doing on will horse like you know the the um the hands-on work with with uh, our, our barrel inventory um uh with the copper and cast brand is is also part of that absolutely and uh, that was gonna be i was gonna ask a little bit about that later but i think that uh answers the question pretty well about what that brand's gonna go for yeah that's a single barrel focused brand yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Randall, just to, to kind of close out that aspect of your, both your history and, and what you're doing now, um, it's been, uh, yeah, there's been a remarkable kind of explosion of different terms and different titles that people either earn or some don't earn, but still get. Um, I don't think anyone would, would question you having that kind of a title. Um, but it does add some stuff. And as you said, barrel master on a business card looks pretty good. It gets you in places. It starts conversations. Um, the only, you know, the only guy I can think about who's got the, the more of an archivist thing is and I mentioned him, I feel like every episode, um, you know, Alan Bishop having the head alchemist title over at spirits of French lick. Um, yeah. But same kind of idea, you know, where you're, you are the master of the barrels, but you're, you're remembering which barrels are which, which are going to, as you taste them, like which are going to batch well together, which are going to maybe go towards a single barrel program or are so special that you want to let them age the five, six, however many years and see what happens. Um, so I, I don't know if, if, you know, would you have, would you have the liquid archivist title on there if you could fit it on the card? No, no. <laughs> no, because I think that really, I mean, the resume is in, is in each glass, each bottle. I mean, it's at some point I'm somewhat annoyed with the industry where people are building their own brand simultaneously to the brand of the product. And I'm like, this is, I'm here to, to build this brand. And if Wheelhorse can't provide all the answers for you, I mean, you don't need to know. I think there's been a little bit of like a kind of a celebrity movement within the industry and i've worked with a lot of the people some of the people that you've mentioned prior on uh, in the during this podcast and i've i view these these kind of masters and all these things that that are really at this high level when you talk to a lot of these folks they're like it's my job like i mean you know i go to work every day and i punch it out and so now the industry has bestowed upon me these kind of crazy accolades and titles but um I met many, many years ago, Maurice Hennessy from, you know, obviously the house of Hennessy and, and Hennessy cognacs. And he's like, I'm a farmer. If I can't make a good grape and grow a good grape, it doesn't matter down the line. And that really kind of stuck with me my entire career is that it doesn't like at the end, it's not the person that, that, that alone makes the product. It's the team, it's the processes, it's your attention to detail and all those things come through in Wheelhorse. So if they come up with a, a wackadoodle kind of title like Liquid Archivist or whatever, 
um, you know, it's funny to me, but at the same point, it's also distracting from, uh, you know, I, I don't need to have people call me by a title or do any of that stuff. So, but I do want them to respect the, the wheel horse brand and the liquid. And if that happens, then, you know, my work is, my work has been good and the latitudes done what they've set out to do. So that's, I kind of keep bringing it back to that, but mm -hmm. I think that there is a whole kind of cult of little celebrity going on. And many of the, many of the people I work with uh, over the years, it's kind of, especially as bourbon's gotten hot and ex exciting trending, they've been elevated to these kind of, kind of weird places for the, the people themselves. Absolutely. The uh, celebrity master distiller and even to a certain extent that a celebrity master blender or head taster, whatever company you want to talk about has, I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's in its second decade, at least now at this point. Um, and it had a place at one point in, especially when bourbon was coming out of the doldrums of those of the late 20th century where, yeah, you needed kind of a personality like that and a title like that to push it forward and get in front of people. But um but I agree with you now that the there's somewhat of a disconnect now where there is that celebrity component. But I look at, uh, and they're going to feel like I'm picking on them a lot, and I'm not at all. But um, I look at, uh, you know, a guy like uh, like Fred No or Freddie No, and I've spoken to them both offline. They're both great guys. Like, I mean, who's going to question that they know their stuff? As an example. But because of that cult of celebrity and the new responsibilities put upon people like them uh, and, and master distillers, you know, I wonder just how often are they on the floor anymore? How often are they at the stills? Um, if it's a more automated process, even more so then, how often are they really at the stills and, and distilling? Uh, so while, I, again, from a consumer standpoint, I like knowing the names of the people who are making the whiskey. There's a certain uh, responsibility, a certain accountability that comes with that. But to your point, the stuff's got to also stand on its own. It's got to be good enough to make the name worthy of it and complement each other. It can't be one or the other. Uh, certainly not anymore. There's too many people who are really getting into whiskey on a, on a more than just consumer basic consumer level and they want to know not only who's making it but who's maturing it who's choosing it who's choosing what blends and what finishings and and then they're going to decide based on that product if that person you know if, if you did a good job batching if terry if you did a good job batching if you know i happen to think you did uh but well, I guess to a certain extent, it goes back a little bit to this kind of transparency, you know, uh, thing, right? People, mm -hmm. and this goes well beyond spirits and, and alcohol, but, you know, people want to know what's in their product and who's behind their product, whether it's a brand, a company, or a person. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I agree with Randall. It's all about what's in the glass. Do you like it? Does it taste good? Does it float your mm -hmm. boat? Uh, that's what it's <laughs> all comes down to, but, you know, people have a curiosity. And, and I think that with, uh, you know, with social media and with access to information uh, everywhere, uh, it's only inevitable that people dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And you want to know everything about, you know, these products. And I think the people are, are uh, an important part of the story of it. In some cases, in some cases, not so much. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, I have one Instagram post that was not put on there by myself. So, um, you know, this, this confounds people because when they go to do research or they look up, you know, the Instagram page, they're like, you haven't looked at it. You haven't done anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy working on whiskey. I don't have time to be like, you know, goofing around with this Instagram stuff, but that's me joking about it. I do believe that, that this is part of the whole industry currently, but I worked extensively with some people, you know, like Elmer when he was happy that Elmer T. Lee came out as a product, but he was kind of horrified that it meant that he wasn't kind of puttering around doing the stuff that he liked to do and making the great whiskey that he was making and um you know passed before it really kind of got to this like hyper crazy kind of cult of, of celebrity around the whiskeys and so i kind of been very grounded by a lot of those experiences with folks that were banging it out every day and so i mean that's part of my i guess you could even call it my own brand is that I'm like, let's defer, you know, back to the glass. Let's look at the product or the brand. Does it stand on its own? Um, but I'm happy to answer questions. I just come across as being kind of grumpy about the whole, the whole celebrity thing. So no, you're, the titles, you're fine the now. title. Everybody has a title now. So I'm like, okay, great. No, you're you're fine. I think you you articulated very well what matters and and what doesn't. So, uh, and I'm I'm looking at a particular book on the shelf. Uh, the F. Paul Packold's book from last year about Buffalo Trace. Um, and uh, in speaking about like Elmer T. Lee and, and uh, some of the guys, and in this case, it is all guys who have, who have run Buffalo Trace over the years and distilled for them that it was mostly anonymous for a really long time. You know, today, most uh, people, I would say, who drink Buffalo Trace whiskey will know who Harlan Wheatley is. No, if if only in name they'll yep. know probably blanton was named after colonel blanton they'll know elmer t lee was named after elmer t lee uh but i remember reading in in the section about lee in in the book that yeah he was super uncomfortable about especially when they started sending him off to uh the japanese markets because that was really where the where plans started to really started to pick up it was it was almost a failure in kentucky it seemed at first and then it got picked up in the japanese market and came back over here and became what it is today uh, as as a sought after product but he never would have wanted to like be on instagram or on on yeah. facebook even or anything like that he would have wanted to be in the warehouses especially warehouse h but in any of the warehouses well, if you ask him a question about his little still up on the third floor or whatever floor it was, he could go on for an hour. You ask him about himself and, you know, it was it was very awkward. And yeah. so, um, yeah, but, you know, the industry has changed and it has pivoted away from that. And I, I get that. But like I said, if if you don't get a chance to ever meet Terry or myself, you can meet our accomplishments on the shelf of your retail store hopefully and then you can do all the judgment and everything that you want you know and i stand behind what's in that bottle because i think it will deliver especially for the price point and for what it is time and time again so you know there's so many distracting things now on the internet about who and what and what the title is and like don't worry about that Drop your 30 bucks. And if you don't feel like you got a good deal for that, uh, we, we can have, definitely have that discussion or argument, but I don't think it's, it's, um, it's going to disappoint. 
I try very hard and so does Terry and the company to make sure it doesn't, it never disappoints when you have that class. Sure. And without, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to make you uncomfortable with lavishing praise or anything like that. Um, I just want to say the other person that you're kind of reminding me of is um, Dick Stoll a bit in the sense that he, he was, you know, basically in obscurity at Michter's in Michter's previous incarnation, uh, even though ended up making the kind of Hirsch bourbons and, and all these great products on the line. And now Stolen Wolf, great new distillery. Uh, that that he helped start before he passed, um, but another guy who would have just said like, "Screw who I am." It's yeah. if the whiskey's good, that's what he stands behind. So, um, without being too obsequious, too saccharine, you know, I, that's that's what I like to hear when I talk to people: is taste the bourbon, then come talk to me. Taste the whiskey, yeah. then come talk. You said you've had these batches, right? Yeah, tasted them. I mean, I've tasted them, and I mean, Terry gave me the opportunity. He, he gave me the opportunity to taste them first and then come back and say, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And, yeah. um, you know, I've been very transparent on other with other brands. There have been some I just don't particularly like. Yeah. And, and I'll say to them, look, I can have you on. You can tell your story, but uh, I'm not the person who's, you know, whose platform is the right one to convey it on. Uh, but I came back and I said, look, I really like these, you know, I tried them out of the bottle. I tried them blind because you always got to, I think you always have to do both to really, you know, get past the, the rose colored glasses that having it right out of a bottle could kind of give you. Sure. Um, and I enjoyed it them both, both times I ended up writing about it for on the website. And, uh, I, I'm now sharing it with friends because that's what whiskey should you should do with whiskey as well. And, you know, you guys, you you had some batches or or particular ones, which ones were you? Uh, Which did I have? Um, I think you said batch two of the bourbon. Yeah. I had batch two of the bourbon and I want to say, I don't have in front of me. I want to say batch three of the rye. They were, they were different numbers, different batches. Yeah. You know, we're, we're on, we just did uh, we just, uh, uh, bottled our our uh, most recent batch, which is batch four of the bourbon and batch six of the rice. Rise a little ahead of the bourbon because we started it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, and then we have uh, we have our next one coming out. I think probably for early September, right around Labor Day. Um, so yeah, we we uh, I mean the batch system for us is important uh, because we are trying to keep it pretty small batch and you know. Um, uh, I've always uh, enjoyed collecting, you know, different uh, versions of, of whiskeys. I remember like when I first started getting into uh, bourbon, maybe like 15 years ago or so, I, I was really into the Evan Williams uh, uh, vintage releases. Um, and uh, I loved collecting those every year. Um, and so I think there's 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 something like if you like the flavor profile of Wheelhorse, our hope is that you're going to like every batch. But there's there's definitely going to be some variation because we're, you know, putting different you know different uh, blends in, into the mix, and they're different you know varying sizes. But like, um, you know, I, I'll I'll just say right now, like the last batch of bourbon was less than um, two thousand six packs, and the last batch of rye was less than a thousand six packs. So these are not you know massively large batches by by any stretch of the imagination um so i think it just adds a nice uh um 
a nice uh, opportunity there for people to kind of grow with us and, and, and taste with us as Randall and I are, are working towards this evolution of Wheel Horse. And you guys are doing it at a, a sustainable pace. I'm just, I couldn't help but think of, um, of a smoke wagon right now. It's on like batch 131 or something like that. And <laughs> yeah, well, barrel, have, barrel spirits is too. They're like way up there. Yeah. They're, they just posted today. They're about to release uh, bourbon batch 33, um, which in, I mean, in itself, yeah, that's quite a oh, bit. I thought, they were, I thought they were beyond that. Yeah. The bourbon batch 33 and then whatever other uh, releases um, they're, I appreciate what they're doing as well, but uh, I just think of Smoke Wagon and like I liked their batches. I had a couple of the early single barrel picks that were really good, and then, but when you get to 131 over, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, maybe four to five years at most. Uh, I appreciate it as a collector that like you want to get all those batches and you want maybe you want to taste them yeah. all and see them next to each other. Well, they're probably doing micro batches then. I mean, you know, what's the definition of small batch, right? Uh, there's certainly right. some disagreement as to some people. Some some might say that you know a thousand six packs is is not small batch, but um, if you look at like Four Roses small batch, you know how many how many how many cases are they putting out? So they're but yeah. but if they're up to 130 after four years, uh, they're, they're they're probably doing micro batches. Uh, that might be probably. Yeah less than small <laughs> probably but i mean just to the point of, of being a collector and wanting to try all those batches like can you really keep up with that yeah that's, right yeah you know that's yeah. that's a new batch more than every month like two to three batches a month that are coming out yeah. so you know we, we're, our batches are numbered i think by you know we wanted to grow the brand and so we were getting product from green river and then as we had it that we were comfortable with the taste and we like it in the three to three and a half, a little bit older range. We're starting to get into what our production kind of numbers will be as we move forward. But um, instead of trying to rush something out, we want an award for instance, and instead of trying to just blast a bunch of stuff out just to take advantage of that, we kind of held back and actually worked on uh, putting additional flavor into some of the things that we had. And so the batch numbers are actually discrete and unique without trying to be a play for well we have 10 of them see if you can tell the difference by all 10 you know um you should see an arc with what we're doing with a couple different kind of uh vectors that came off of it based on what we were working with at the time but i think it's been a, a pretty consistent delicious product and not trying to go for the uniqueness of Oh well, you don't have batch eight. Well, shame on you. You know, <laughs> buy three bottles and then put one in away and never taste it or look at it again, so that you right. can claim to have it ten years from now. So that's to another. Rand to Randall's comment, we got a lot of we we, we uh, faced some pressure. Uh, so um, you know, last last year, uh, Whiskey Advocate gave uh, Wheel Horse Bourbon uh, top twenty Whiskey of the Year award, uh, mm -hmm. which was obviously extraordinarily exciting for a brand that had only been out for about a year. And I was even more excited with the fact that they gave us a 94 point rating, which was, we were only, only one of like three or four whiskeys on the top 20 list to get a 94. And they, uh, and we were the least expensive on the entire list. So that to me was like the kind of the crown jewel, but we got a ton of, of pressure to like crank it up, crank it up. Um, which we didn't do. Uh, in fact, I remember making the bats that we did right after that even smaller because I, I wanted to let 
more of it uh, mature a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's really important to, to keeping on track. Like you want to live up to, to what people are, are liking from the early batches and we're, we're doing our best to, to do that without kind of expanding too fast. Which it's keeping the brand integrity as, as you both are, are saying directly, it's put out what's good at the price point, not, you know, just going for the volume and, you know, I'm sure you, you probably could go for the volume. And as you said, there's, there's demand, I'm sure, but keeping the integrity growing on an organic path. Uh, I got nothing but respect for that. So, um, you know, I know we are getting towards the top of the hour and you guys have been very generous with your time. Uh, I think, um, Terry, I have a question for you that, uh, I'll, I will ask you offline. It'll be a, uh, a special part of an, an article or something. Um, but it basically just had to do with, with this move into, um, external PR firms as opposed to uh, distilleries or brands handling their own uh, PR, their own media and press and all of that. Um, so I just wanted to, to mention that as a little bit of a tease that maybe we'll talk about another time. Um, sure. But, but uh, in the meantime, you know, just to close out, where's the best place for, for people to find you and uh, both of you and, and Wheel Horace brand and to just keep up with what you guys are doing next. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the website and our social, uh, you know, we try to keep people updated there, but, um, uh, you know, right now wheel horse is distributed in probably about 20 States. Um, it's also available online uh, on wheelhorsewhiskey.com and, you know, various other places. Um, you know, right now we're, we're focused on building our, our one. We haven't really talked too much about the product, but the 101 proof non-chill filtered bourbon and the 101 proof, uh, ride. That's our core. Those are our, our workhorses for wheel horse. And that's what we're growing. But, uh, Randall and I did play around with uh, a few things late last year. We did a very small release of a, uh, a toasted barrel four year. Um, and we did a, uh, we did a handful of single barrel four year, uh, uh, bottlings, which went to like some of our, you know, some of the stores that really supported us since the beginning. Um, and then we kind of trickled some of it out and those were phenomenal. I, I, the, the toasted was, was really fantastic. So we are looking at kind of, uh, playing around with some fun stuff. Uh, I think we'll probably wind up doing another toasted batch later this year. Uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to, you know, get some more single barrels out to, uh, the retailers that are really supporting us, um, and, uh, and, and see where those go. Those are obviously going to be very, very small, uh, uh, releases, but you know, the product itself distribution has, has certainly ticked up since the, the whiskey advocate, um, uh, rating. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I think we're probably in about 20 States now and, and that will probably be more, uh, over the course of the, the next year. Awesome. And you can find me in my lab down at the warehouse, uh, madly concocting things and trying to figure <laughs> out what our next moves are going to be, but yeah, the brands are out there. I think that it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. Uh, it might be a little bit frustrating for some consumers until the next batch is released and things because we've gotten a victim of our own success in the fact that a lot of people snap it up and, and it goes pretty quick. But if you have the patience, you're following it on the website and you kind of keep up with the releases, most people are able to find it and get access to it. Um, it's just not 
ubiquitous in the sense that it's all out there all the time. So yeah, good luck, good hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the hunting days. I'm glad they are behind me. Um, So um, with that, Terry, Randall, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Um, Hang on with me just for a sec after we close out the recording. Uh, It's been you know, another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Make sure to follow for news on uh, all whiskey, but including Wheel Horse and what's coming up next with them uh, on all the socials, Whiskey in My Wedding Ring or the Whiskering Podcast. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for having us, David. Appreciate Thanks so it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you.